0: This is Cover 2, a podcast on the Cleveland Browns. Hit.
1: Browns are going to win! field,
0: touchdown! With Dan Kadar and Browns beat writer Nate Ulrich of the Akron Beacon Journal and Ohio.com. With Steve Dorschuk from the Canton Repository. It's intercepted! Picked by Dixon Ward! Chubb will take this off. Browns fans, now, cover two, a podcast
1: on the Cleveland Browns. Wow, hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. That's right, we still record our podcast. Uh, I feel like I apologize every time we we do one now, but, you know, work and life is very busy for me, so we we just haven't had a great time, Nate and I, to, to get together to put one of these down. but. We're here now to kind of, you know, it's been so long since we've recorded a podcast that we're going to do a little bit of a recap. You know, obviously, you all probably know what has happened to the Browns this offseason, all the big moves that they've made, all the controversial moves that they've made, and the fallout from it. Uh, So we're going to talk about that a little bit. And that is going to lead us into a discussion about, you know, the direction the Browns could take the the remainder of the offseason maybe what they could be doing in the draft uh, what priorities they they might have there so that, that's kind of the the land the the map yeah the land map whatever you want to call it uh, that's mapping out what we're going to talk about today on cover two so Nate uh what have you been up to anything um
0: uh, just you know. Laying low, not much going on this off season. I don't think we missed much. Um, so I think we're pretty good. Um, you know, Amari Cooper trade, uh, I don't think we've recorded since that even happened. Uh, right. I guess the Deshaun Watson trade happened. You know, things like that. Uh, just been writing a little bit about that stuff here and there. Uh, no big deal. But, yeah, now I'm in the, <laughs> the mode of getting ready for the draft, um, talking to coaches, Kind of zeroing in on wide receivers and defensive linemen, uh, both ends and tackles, who I think might be available at number 44 overall. Um, Full disclosure, um, you know, I did talk to Purdue's head coach before the Deshaun Watson trade about George Karloftis and David Bell because I thought that was a nice uh, double dip for me. Uh, Defensive end the Browns might have been interested in in the first round and a receiver who might be there. Uh, you know, later in the draft, uh, whether it's second or third round. Um, and then they went and they traded the first round pick, uh, you know, and the, it's part of that massive Deshaun Watson blockbuster trade. Uh, so, but I still wrote a George Cardall off this story because, uh, you know, that <laughs> you, you, you never say never, right? Andrew Barry said you never know when he was asked about possibly moving back into the first round. So you can't completely wipe him off off the board is a possibility, but it would be highly unlikely.
1: Yeah, you, you do never know. I mean that the draft is so funny. Some some guys just fall unexpectedly or some guys fall you know if a late medical thing pops up or you know maybe in the case of Karloftis, you could theoretically make an argument for why he would fall some because he's not he plays a premium position, but He's not like a speed rusher. And that that's what teams tend to prefer more, you know, in the first round, particularly high. So it could become a thing where he's still there in the 20s. And, and Andrew Barry, who is very aggressive with the draft, we saw last year with Jeremiah wusud He he might make a move. I know they, they only have six picks this year, uh, which we'll talk about later, seven picks, excuse me. Um but the, the, that could be a guy that the Browns could be targeting. There, there's several edge players. Now, I, I'm not as up-to-date on the draft stuff this year as I have been in years past, to be quite honest. But, you know, I, I think Karloftis is somebody to think about. And it's also, it's, it was just a good story. So that's up on the site now over at peaconjournal.com slash sports slash Browns. Nate, we'll we'll talk about that more. We'll talk about the draft stuff more later on on the podcast. We're recording this on Tuesday. Uh, what's today? The twelfth. Yeah, and the 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 draft will be two weeks from Thursday, so we will get to that later on the show. Nate, I, I guess we had to address the Deshaun Watson thing just because we haven't recorded. Um, so let's let's take this angle on it. Based on the Browns bringing in Jacoby Brissett and Josh Dobbs to kind of fill out their quarterback room, do you feel like the Browns are kind of bracing for a suspension for Deshaun Watson?
0: A hundred percent. Yeah, they're definitely bracing for a suspension. Now, I did go to the NFL owners meetings at the, at the very end of the month uh, of March, you know, just, you know, a week and a half off that, you know, March 18th, Deshaun Watson trade. And so that was a very valuable time to talk to Kevin Stefanski, Andrew Berry, Paul D. Podesta, uh, and then the Browns owners, uh, D. and Jimmy Haslam, as well as other people throughout the league. Uh, And, you know, I came away thinking, uh, you know, listening to NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell and his news conference address Deshaun Watson and and many questions uh, and talking Browns brass and talking to people throughout the league, I came away thinking that the suspension isn't going to be, uh, you know, like a half the season or more than half the season. And I got to tell you, Dan, heading in, I thought that that was on the table. Like, I thought, I mean, Deshaun Watson has been accused by not one or two women. And that's been the case in a lot of these Instances in the past with uh, you know NFL players who have who have uh, faced uh, sexual misconduct or sexual assault allegations. Uh, This is 24 accusations total. Okay, so of those 24 accusations, 22 women sued. Okay, those 22 lawsuits are still active. In addition to the lawsuits, there were 10 criminal complaints. Eight of the 10 women. who filed criminal complaints are part of the twenty two who sued two of the ten women who filed criminal complaints uh, have not sued. So those ten criminal complaints uh, went to two grand juries in Texas, nine of them to one and one to another. And those two Texas grand juries last month in the month of March combined to decline to indict Deshaun Watson on all ten of those complaints. I just want to say all that to get everybody caught up and people to understand that the number is 24 and why the number is 24. It's not 22. I'm a stickler for the details. The number is 24. It's two dozen. When I write two dozen, I'm not rounding 22 up to two dozen. It's literally two dozen accusations that have been made in the judicial system. Okay, so that's where we're at with that. And I thought, how do you levy a suspension if you're Roger Goodell? under the personal conduct policy when you have an unprecedented amount of accusations, right? Just the quantity is staggering. Okay. Um, So how, how do you wrap your mind around that? And we know the NFL, this is important because Deshaun Watson has not been indicted. He's denied all wrongdoing. However, the NFL has the history of with Ben Roethlisberger, with Ezekiel Elliott. Those are instances in which the NFL has suspended players without being criminally charged. Um, and it's funny, Dan, because like in my world that makes sense. Like just because I'm so accustomed to it, right? Like I've dealt with it throughout the years, uh, in a different mm-hmm. kind of subsection of the NFL discipline uh, you know, arena. And that was primarily with Josh Gordon. That was with substance abuse, right? Where Josh Gordon, he wouldn't get charged necessarily for um you know what he was using, uh what substances he he was using or abusing, but he would test with the NFL and the negative tests would then result in these violations that would lead to suspension. So it's not like he was being arrested every time he was suspended. He's just being disciplined by the league despite not being criminally charged. Uh so that I'm just so used to it. Now but if you talk to the average person who's not <laughs> probably a listener to this podcast, it's like crazy to them. It's a crazy concept to them. Uh, a lot of people are trying to explain this to because this Deshaun Watson trade has brought in all kinds of people. The microscope is on the Browns, and it's not just sports fans who are interested in how this is going to play out. And I've had to explain to a lot of people, yes, the NFL can suspend and has suspended players who aren't charged, and it's such a foreign concept that so many people – who aren't familiar with the league and how it's operated for a long time. But that is indeed how the league has conducted business. And so the Browns are indeed bracing for a suspension. But the vibe I got coming out of the owners meeting was that it wasn't going to be a super long suspension to kind of fit, you know, what I thought heading in might make sense, given that it was a, an unprecedented number of accusations and just a, a, a kind of uncharted territory for the league. So um I think, you know, and, and it's it, it it would be a total guess, right, to to come up with a number. But my total guess is I could see it being a six or eight game suspension and then on an appeal it getting knocked down. Roethlisberger, you know, this was years ago, about 10 years ago now, a little more than 10 years ago, I think. He got suspended for six games, appealed and got it knocked down to four, um, you know, on a sexual assault allegation. So, you know, again, this is a, a, a this is different uh, in the fact that it's so many uh, accusations. Um, but the, the the vibe I got coming out of the owners' meeting was we're not going to be seeing Jacoby Brissett for like ten or twelve games, um, you know, based on the suspension. Yeah. No, no, I'm talking about Jacoby Brissett in place of Deshaun Watson. okay. Um, yeah, like I Sorry. I think I think right, because the Browns signed Jacoby Brissett to be the the fill in uh the, the backup quarterback and knowing that he very well could be the starting quarterback in week one if Deshaun Watson is suspended uh for the beginning of the season, but I don't think you're gonna see like a twelve game suspension fill in by Brissett. I'm thinking it's 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 probably more in that range of six.
1: Which is kind of strange if you just consider what the suspension for Roethlisberger was. And it's all horrible. I'm not diminishing anything at all. It all sucks. And I hate that we're talking about it. But the same suspension for one thing compared to Two dozen is—it's um, very strange, and the the NFL's manner of how they hand out suspensions continues to boggle the mind, and I think always will while Roger Goodell is the commissioner of the league, and it's it's such a weird thing. But um, st- sticking with the quarterback thing. Are you surprised at all that the Browns kind of just revamped the whole room, and not just the Deshaun Watson thing, and and all that, but just the idea that you know they they had they they probably could have brought back both their backup quarterbacks, and they said Case Keenum we're good, you know Nick Mullins we're not gonna. <laughs> we're not going to bring you back, so we're just going to bring in a whole new room. Does that surprise you at all? I I thought that was a little strange because they're going to be running the same offense mostly. I mean, there will be wrinkles to it that are new, but it's a whole new no-carryover quarterback room. Is that surprising for you at all? Because it is a little bit for me.
0: Well, I'm going to turn your question on its head a little bit because I think the offense is going to change quite a bit. Hmm.
1: Yeah, I really do. I think that the. See, you know, I, sorry to cut you off again, but I, I'm still stuck on how rigid Kevin Stefanski can be with his offense. You know, at least that he's shown in the past, and I, I guess that he has to prove me wrong that he's able to change his system.
0: That's you know, a good like, point. That's a good point. Yeah, and I agree. But guess what? I think his job hinges on it to a large extent. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Sure. I'm not yeah, kidding. No, I at agree. All. I agree. And, I, you know, and this is why I don't think that's hyperbole. Think about it. I mean, they gave up the haul they gave, three first round picks plus more, uh the for Deshaun Watson, and then they signed him to that unprecedented amount of guaranteed money. Two hundred thirty million dollars guaranteed over five years. It wasn't just that they took the risk given his off field baggage, everything he's facing in the legal system. It's that they made him the highest paid quarterback in terms of guaranteed money, the highest paid player in NFL history in terms of guaranteed money. And like this is the Deshaun Watson show now. So it's not the Kevin Stefanski show. Uh, Deshaun Watson, um, has the keys to the kingdom. That's what the Haslams authorized. And you know, obviously they like Kevin Stefanski. But if Deshaun Wat, if if Kevin Stefanski can't capitalize on Deshaun Watson, given the investment that the Browns made in him, who do you think the Hasms would pick between Kevin Stefanski and Deshaun Watson? It's Deshaun Watson. So Kevin Stefanski needs to cater to Deshaun Watson uh and his skill set, and things need to change in this offense to suit Deshaun Watson. This isn't, you know hey, you know, this isn't the same quarterback that, that I've had uh, and I'm just going to run the Gary Kubiak-inspired system that I brought to Cleveland without doing anything. Like, no, I think that, I think Kevin Stefanski really does need uh, to overhaul a lot of what he's doing and, you know, obviously the running game, you know, they've invested heavily in the running backs, uh, you know, and, and, and the offensive line and, you know I'm sure they're gonna wanna run a lot of the same stuff uh you know in terms of that with with bill callahan uh as offensive line coach and 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 having a huge hand in in the run scheme along with stump Mitchell, who will be back this year after having health problems last year uh is the running backs coach and run game coordinator but in terms of the passing game, like I don't think it's gonna be hey you know. We're just going to try to set up play action and run a lot of 13 personnel a lot more than anyone else in the league. Like, no, I think that, I think things are going to look quite a bit different. And, and Deshaun Watson's going to be in shotgun a lot more than Baker Mayfield was. And the list goes on and on. They're going to run RPOs. Um, you know, so I think that things are definitely going to look different. And, um, you know, if they don't and if Kevin Stefanski, uh, you know, basically fails to show, he is the right coach for Deshaun Watson, and he is the right play caller for Deshaun Watson, then all of a sudden, you know, his job security is going to become flimsy because of the investment made in Deshaun Watson. Like, I firmly believe all that. And Kevin Stefanski at the owner's meeting was entertaining all of these questions about changing the offense. He wouldn't rule out wholesale changes. Uh, he talked a lot about how, uh, you know, they have to sit down his offensive staff, and him and Deshaun Watson, and go over what Deshaun Watson likes to do, what he's comfortable in. And they've got to really uh, implement all that. And they've got a lot of work to do starting on April 19th together when Deshaun Watson will be in the building with a bunch of teammates when the voluntary offseason workout program of the Browns begins in Berea. So I think that that is going to be a heavy lift for Kevin Stefanski and that the playbook is going to look – Drastically different. And I think that the quarterback room changes reflect that. Okay. Because it, it I think that, you, you know, you don't have Jacoby Bursette, uh come in, uh, you know, because he, he is Deshaun Watson or anything like he, I'm not saying he's the same player and he can do all the same things, but I think that the way the Browns try to build that room is you have guys who, um, you know, do have some similarities to their game. In fact, like I remember a few years ago, well, I don't even know exactly what season it was, but the Browns went to play the Colts. Jacoby Brissett was the starting quarterback and he ran all over the Browns. So like he's got that in his game. We know he can create that way. Um, You know, again, I'm not saying he is a caliber of Deshaun Watson, but there are some similarities in skill set there. And I think that you bring in Josh Dobbs as, as, as the Nick Mullins replacement as a number three quarterback again, because you just see some consistency and skill set that way that you didn't have when you, if you were just to keep, um, you know, Case Keenum is a two and, and Nick Mullins is the three. And then, you know, you're, you're looking at kind of running the 20 and 20, the 2020 and 2021. Kevin Stefanski slash Brown's offense more than I think what this new one is going to be. So I I do think that the changes in the quarterback room are another sign that they really are going to shake up the offense and what they do
1: schematically. Yeah, I I hope you're right. I, I just think Kevin Stefanski, who I still like, and I think he's a very bright offensive mind. I, I think he has to show it just because, I I think one of the the trappings of last season when you get beyond all the injury stuff, obviously was how, how to me, unimaginative the offense was and nothing really changed. And I think it needed to. So we'll see on that. Nate, anything else on, on the, the great quarterback saga of 2022?
0: I don't think so. Um, you know, we're going to find out what the suspension is at some point, And, yeah. you know, we'll kind of go from there. And, uh, you know, until then, uh, there's going to be twists and turns, uh, in court, you know, uh, Deshaun Watson's still taking depositions for this. You know, I, I've read all the lawsuits, um, from start to finish. Um, I think all Browns fans should, uh, I know all Browns fans won't. But, you know, you're going to buy jerseys, you're going to buy tickets, you know, you know, taking all the information, consider what Deshaun Watson's saying about it, um, consider what his attorney's saying about it, consider what the Browns are saying about it, but also consider what, um, you know, the 22 plaintiffs and, and their attorney's saying, you know, if, if you want to be a well-read, well-educated fan, take it all in. It's my job to do that, so, you know, I don't expect everybody to, but I do think it'd be a good idea um and then we'll see where it goes from there i mean we're gonna if this is in court it's going to play out criminally he's in the clear for now there could be more criminal complaints that are filed um but we don't know that there could be more civil suits that are filed too but we don't know that right now what we know is 22 are active uh in civil court and that you know the attorneys for both sides have agreed uh, you know, not to have any cases go to trial uh, between the beginning of August and and then like early next off season. Um, but you know, I did talk to um, you know Tony Busby, the the attorney for the uh, plaintiffs, uh, you know, recently, and you know he does hope to to schedule a trial um, before uh July. So we'll, we'll see if that happens. We'll see if the Sean Watson settles the cases or, um, you know, all 22 of them or any of them. Uh, you know, I did ask him about that at his introductory news conference. And he said, that's not his intent. His intent is to fight, keep fighting and clear his name. So we'll, you know, those are the facts. Those are what, that's, what's been said. And we just have to see how it plays out. But I, I would encourage fans to educate themselves on, on, you know, the whole matter, because this isn't just, you know, a running back coming in. This isn't a guard or a defensive tackle. This is the face of the franchise, the quarterback who's been paid more money than anybody in NFL history to lead the team, to be the face of it. And, and to some extent, to be the face of the city. And, you know, I don't know if, you know, everybody's comfortable with thinking a football player should be, the, the face of the city or a professional athlete should be the face of a city, but that's kind of the society we live in. And I think it's a realistic realistic uh, way to look at it. Um, I don't think I'm being too dramatic by saying that that's the position that the Haslams have put him in. So, you know, figure out what it's all about on your own and come to your own conclusions.
1: Yeah. And really the, if you want to expand it further, the Browns kind of, not only do they set their reputation on, on this player, but they, they set their franchise future on it. If this does not work out, the Browns are in real trouble. They, they've killed their future draft capital to a large degree. If it doesn't work out, they're going to be looking for a new head coach and front office. So you're in that spiral again. Um, it's, it's a lot and, Boy, is it a lot. It's a lot to take in. And you're right. People should go out of their way to try and read these things, myself included. I'm not going to lie. I have not read them. Um, but it's it's not fun reading those. I'll tell you that much. I, I know enough about I, I've read enough plaintiffs. I've read enough police reports. I've listened to enough 911 calls. It all sucks. And I, I think it's a necessary thing you have to do. Before you really, as a fan, get on board saying, "I love this," I'm so excited. How, you know, he hasn't been charged anything criminally. Get the hell out of here with that. Um, I think you owe it to yourself if you have that position to at least read, read the lawsuits. So, yeah, it's it's a thing, and we'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about it more as the the year progresses. I don't even want to say season anymore because the NFL season is nonstop. They just it, happen it to is. play games during part of it, you know, like. Right.
0: Yeah. I do want to say real quick too, Dan, like, um having said all we said about the risk and everything like that, well, the Browns mm-hmm. obviously think that it's worth the risk, you know, and sure. worth backlash and worth the bag, worth, you know, it, 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 they think it's, they think the risk is worth all that comes with it because, listen, they've, the Haslam's bought the team in 2012. We've seen a lot of bad football. So one winning season, uh, one playoff team. And they watched the playoffs just like we did. And they came to that conclusion that to compete in the AFC the way it is now, you need a top quarterback. And – They tried They tried a lot, right? They tried the number one overall pick in 2018. And they came to the conclusion that Baker Mayfield's good. He's a playoff quarterback, you know, if healthy and things are right around him. But he's not a Super Bowl quarterback. That's the conclusion they came to, okay? That was the judgment call of the organization. And it's obvious that they feel that Deshaun Watson is worth the risk because he has the potential to be a Super Bowl quarterback given that he has been a very, very successful player when he's been on the field in terms of his individual excellence, um, that he is a three-time Pro Bowl player, that he has, uh, you know, all this talent, that he's 26 years old, and that it's such a rare opportunity to be able to get that caliber of quarterback, uh, you know, at his age. They thought it was worth this monumental swing uh, and we'll see if it's a home run. We'll see if they strike out. I think everybody's fascinated, and like I said before, not just Browns fans, not just sports fans, um, because there's so many societal issues wrapped up in this decision.
1: Is anything short of a Super Bowl win a reward? Because just looking at the landscape of the NFL, Josh Allen, uh, still in the AFC, Mac Jones, Tua, the Jets probably think they have their guy. Joe Burrow's a superstar. Lamar Jackson's an MVP. You know, you, you can go on and on and on. Trevor Lawrence was the number one pick last year. Patrick Mahomes is still alive. Derek Carr's better than people like to admit. Did Justin, you say Justin a, yeah, he's a megastar. I'm just going down the the divisions, okay. and now Russell Wilson's in Denver, yeah. so. That is a lot to overcome if you're the Browns. So, is anything but a Super Bowl with this guy a reward?
0: Oh, I think this is absolutely Super Bowl or bust move. Ooh, that's tough. Yeah, I mean, I I I don't know how to look at it any other way. I mean, if you right, if you were to keep Baker Mayfield, if you were to do status quo with Baker Mayfield, I mean, I look at Baker Mayfield this way like if he's healthy like i said you have the team around him you can go to the playoffs that's we know that we so, we saw that so like mm-hmm. if deshaun watson's just getting you to the playoffs like you're just treading water there wasn't really any progress made he needs to get you to the super bowl and win it given this huge risk that you that you took with everything that comes with this move and given the investment in terms of draft capital and even more in terms of the contract. With those factors in play, I think this is absolutely a Super Bowl or bust move.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. And I think it's just going to be very difficult, as all with, with all those. The, the AFC is, is the conference right now, and the NFC is Tom Brady and, and Aaron Rodgers, and not much else. But, Nate, everybody has an opinion about Baker Mayfield and what's next for him. Nobody knows exactly what's going to happen when uh, we know the why part of it, obviously, but what's your theory on Baker Mayfield and, and what happens there? We don't have to spend long on this, but I do want to ask you that.
0: Okay. My theory is, <laughs> and talking from people behind the scenes on this, you know, I think the Browns are going going to trade him uh, this off season and, you know, they're going to have to pay some of the money on the $18.85 million guaranteed, right? That's the hurdle right now in moving him. And, you know, they, they're going to, uh, you know, I think come to the point where they're going, going to get that done. It's just, you know, having him in the building isn't going to make sense. Um, And he is determined not to screw anything up with his contract. So, uh, You know, if it comes to the point, the first time he would be required contractually to be in the building would be in mid-June for mandatory minicamp. Uh, you know, and I'm told he would show up. He would also show up for training camp because he doesn't want to take the fines that are now in the CBA. It would be like $95,000 and change for missing the three A's of mandatory minicamp. And I think it's under the fifth year option in the CBA. It's $40,000 a day for training camp that, that they would fine. He doesn't want to do that. He doesn't want the guarantee part of his contract to get screwed up, which I guess there's a little bit of gray area and there, you know, there could be a kind of a a fight between, um, player and team, like with a grievance or something like that. That could all potentially happen. So he doesn't want to take any risk with that, uh, in terms of messing up the guarantee part of his contract. He would show up to everything if they kept him. I don't expect him to keep him at all. Like I think that they're going to do what it takes to move him and i think the seattle seahawks still make the most sense. uh alonzo highsmith is there obviously a, a a right-hand man of john dorsey when that regime drafted baker mayfield in cleveland. um you know the starting quarterback situation uh is is not written in in stone there and so i think that baker mayfield would make sense there. um you know detroit john dorsey is there. you know they have jared goff. um but I think that that is kind of a, you know, another option, at least to keep an eye on, is a, is a potential landing spot. Um So, you know, I, I really look at the people who know Baker, uh, who believe in him as uh, the most logical connections with Seattle, just because of the the quarterback room there uh, being at the top of the list. But yeah, so Andrew Barry and his message at the owners meetings was, I, I'm going to be patient. You know, I'm not going to do anything that's suboptimal. You know, and Paul Podesta saying, you know, sitting right next to Andrew Barry in that interview that we still think, you know, Baker Mayfield has value in this league. He's a good starting quarterback and we shouldn't have to give him away for nothing. You know, I mean, that's basically what their message was. And so they're going to be patient and everything. But I do think that there's going to be a point where it's just going to make more sense to move him to be to eat some of the contract to facilitate that trade uh, if it comes to that. And I think it probably will come to that. That's my guess, my prediction at this point. Um, but, yeah, I don't think it's going to be a thing where Baker Mayfield's on the roster and he's just showing up to Bria every day just so, uh, you know, he gets paid and they keep him for mm-hmm. all 22. Like, I mean, there's all these kind of crazy exercises you can go through, um, but I do not see the Browns, uh, you know, and Baker Mayfield, you know, going through that dance. Uh, I think it's it's going to come to an end. Uh, this off season, and you know, he'll get a shot elsewhere.
1: Well, a couple of things. If we were on around the horn right now, I would give you three to five points for the Alonzo Highsmith in Seattle mention. No one, everybody talks about. Oh, he would fit great. Attitude, attitudinally, is that a word? His attitude would be great with Pete Carroll in Seattle. You know, and nobody mentions the Highsmith thing. So kudos on that one. And Detroit, I think Buddy Boy is a is a good shout too. So, no chance that the Browns just outright cut Baker Mayfield, right? Because then, whoever picks him up, the Browns still had to pay him basically, and it, it opens the possibility of him going to Pittsburgh. Which Baker Mayfield is a um, chip on his shoulder, spiteful kind kind of guy. I think he would love to be in Pittsburgh myself. Um, Do you think there's any possibility that they just outright cut him?
0: You know, I don't think that's going to be the outcome. You know, I think that they're going to figure out a way to move him uh, in a trade. Uh, You know, Andrew Barry and Paul Podesta and that front office is creative. Um, You know, look what they did with the Odell Beckham Jr., Fiasco in November and how they figured out a way to come to an agreement to basically reach a settlement to release him and then pay X amount of money depending on you know whether he was claimed or whether he signed uh, as a free agent and you know that I think they'll work out something to move him that'll involve them paying part of the eighteen point eight five eight million dollars guaranteed that he's due as a result of exercising his fifth-year option a year ago, which at the time was a no-brainer move. And now it's a move that's haunting the Browns, which is just so – tells you how things can change in, in one year and even a lot less than one year in the NFL. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I don't – I do not – I don't – man, they really don't want to cut him and just eat, you know, all that money. Um, I think they're going to eat some of it and, and but figure out a different way to – move him. So that would be my guess. I mean the only thing crazier than them just outright cutting him is keeping him for all year. Like I and I don't
1: see that happening. No, that that would be a toxic situation, uh adding on to what is already kind of a a funky thing with your fan base at least. So Nate the, the the roster as it stands right now, we we all know the moves that the Browns have done this off season beyond all the quarterback stuff. Um any anything else you want to talk about? For the roster as is, or do you want to get to kind of what the the next steps look like for the team?
0: Well, I'll go one next step right now, and it's just that you know, to me those those big holes aside from kicker, you know, and I, you know, we could we could talk about kicker if you want, but you know, they did bring Chase one yeah. back, but I think it's going to be a competition, and they could draft a guy or, or bring if they don't draft one, bring a a priority free agent, rookie free agent in uh, for a competition there. But aside from that, you know, I'm, I'm looking at wide receiver and defensive end, defensive tackle, um, and Jarvis Landry was cut. And, you know, they we knew that that was going to be a likely outcome uh, given his contract. Uh, Jadavian Clowney is still an unrestricted free agent as of our recording. Those are the two big names that all Browns fans are watching, that I'm certainly watching. I know you're watching, Dan, because – There's mutual interest in a reunion for both of them. Now with Landry, I just keep going back to the fact that I've talked to agents who've said, you know, I've had many clients who have told me they would rather go play for another team for less than come back to the same locker room for less. And I I mean, it does happen. There are there are guys who who come, you know, get cut. They come back. They resign, especially when you are talking about a team that's expected to be uh, a contender. Um, You know, that happens, but I think it's more likely if I had to pick between the two, Landry or Clowney, to come back to the Browns. I think Clowney's more likely for that reason that, you know, he wasn't cut. He just hit the open market here, and this is classic Jadavian Clowney. We talked about this before free agency. Like, he's not a guy who has ever made a decision quickly on the open market. Like, it's it's always been a thing where even last year when he signed with the Browns after being pursued with him the previous offseason – uh, you know, he didn't sign until like this time last year, like a month after free agency had started. So this is kind of the the earliest that I would expect him to make any kind of decision. So um, you know, I I, I did have some correspondence with his agent, Kennar McGuire, who said there is mutual interest uh, between the Browns and Clowney still. And I did uh, also speak with uh Jarvis Lantry's uh agent who's Roosevelt Barnes is actually his new agent. Uh, he had changed representation this offseason, and he said the same thing. Mutual interest between Jarvis and the Browns, other teams also, uh you know, courting Jarvis. So we'll, we'll see. But to me, those are important to talk about because those are the biggest positions in need right now on the roster. Those are players of note, you know, multiple-time Pro Bowl guys who played well here uh you know, with the Browns, obviously Landry longer than Clowney, but Clowney had a good, uh, 2021 season. And then, you know, if one of those dominoes falls before the draft, you know, I think that, you know, not that Andrew Barry is going to do everything, um, based on need, but I do believe that you marry need with, with your board and, uh, kind of how the draft might fall to you at 44, or if you're going to move up, if, if you see it fall to you fall in a certain way before you're scheduled to go on the clock for the first time. So, I think those guys are important to think about when it comes to the, the draft and the positions in need uh, to some
1: degree. Do you think that the front office is approaching things with the assumption that they're going to have Clowney back for 2022?
0: Uh, I, I don't think so. Um,
1: right. I, don't, that, that's a, I mean, that's I, I could assumption. be
0: wrong about that, but I don't think that they would assume that because – You know, you can. He's it's free agency comes down to right player, right price. He's the right player. He showed that last year with the Browns. He loved playing here with Miles Garrett. He had a productive season, his most productive season since 2018 in terms of the sacks. He had nine sacks. He played 14 games. He was available uh, for, for the most amount of games. I mean, this is a guy with a long injury history, but so most amount of games played, most sacks since 2018. Things lined up for him well here. Uh, but right price is what's TBD. Is somebody else going to give him something and he's going to find, uh, you know, an offer that he'd rather take uh, elsewhere? Um, you know, he he has bounced around, obviously, since being that first overall pick of the Houston Texans traded to Seattle then Tennessee now here. Um, does he stay on the move? Um, you know, I, I just don't think the Browns can assume that that they're getting them back unless there's some kind of thing behind the scenes that they've been told. Uh, you know, we would have no knowledge of, and I haven't told totally anything like
1: that. Yeah, it, it it wouldn't make sense if there was something, you know, a handshake kind of thing going on in the background. If, if that was the case, why not just, you know, do it? The Browns do have money, though, it, under the cap still. They're, they have the fifth most uh, cap space for 2022 left over right now. I know the cap is kind of, it's not a myth, but, teams find ways to to move money around a lot. But the Browns do have, according to Rack, almost $20 million in cap space. Um, so they, they have the money for it. We'll see how it gets spent. I think you can make the case for Jarvis, too, uh, in a big way, maybe. I don't know maybe just as much as Clowney. I know the position value of defensive end is higher, but uh the the browns in in my purview right now don't have a a great you know leader type of guy on the offense they have good players sure they, to me they they don't have the guy that kind of runs the room if you will so We'll see what happens there. Of course, Nate'll, Nate'll have all the coverage over at beaconjournal.com slash sports slash Browns. There's a lot of stuff up there right now, by the way. It's not like Nate, uh, has been taking it easy this offseason. He has a really nice feature on Houston pass rusher Logan Allen. That could be a guy to think about at number 44 for the Browns. Good story there. Like Nate mentioned, he has the Carl Lautus story, uh, and all the news and Ronnie Harrison's back, which is, A little surprising, but he's back for another year. So there's a lot to to take in, and it's not going to stop. The the engine keeps churning. So, Nate, talking about the draft, um, you've mentioned it a few times now. Pass rusher, wide receiver. Uh, Defensive tackle, I guess, is in the mix, too. Is Is there a mystery position out there that the Browns should be thinking about that nobody is really... Talking about that much.
0: Uh you know, th- I think a tight end is definitely in play. Um, but you know, maybe with one of the third round picks. So that's one that that might be going a little bit overlooked. Uh you know, they did release Austin Hooper this offseason, which is significant because he's one of the, the biggest reagent investments that Andrew Berry's made since he's become GM of the Browns. And you know, they did franchise tag David Njoku, so he's in that number one tight end role. Uh like he's like the undisputed guy at the position now, whereas it was different when Austin Hooper is here. So, you know, Harrison Bryant I think is a you know pretty good uh backup player. But I think that you they would definitely like to to strengthen the tight end room and I, I know I said earlier that I don't think that they're gonna that they're gonna they are going to make Changes on offense because Kevin Stefanski knows deep down that his job ultimately is going to depend on maximizing the talents so of Deshaun Watson and therefore making changes to do so. But I do think even though if they don't even though they won't run as much um, 13 personnel uh, as they have that they still would like another um, you know tight end to add to that mix. And so I think that that is a position that needs to to be watched as well. But yeah, I, I'm mostly in the second round, forty four overall. I'm mostly looking at wide receiver and D end as as the strongest possibilities. May and you know, D tackle's interesting because the Browns uh, under Andrew Barry have not heavily invested in that position. So he inherited Sheldon Richardson, a big free agent signing of John Dorsey, and Barry also inherited Larry Ogan Joby, a, a, you know a draft pick from years back, 2017, um, you know, and Andrew Barry was, was with the Browns at that time in a, in a BP, uh a player personnel role. Um, but he let Joby walk in free agency and he released Sheldon Richardson and, you know, a salary cap, you know, cost cutting move. And then he, he filled him in with a, you know, a project in Malik McDowell, a guy who, you know, hadn't played because of off field issues and, and, um, you know, an ATV accident, uh, was part of that and then sign Malik Jackson to, you know, like a one year, you know, prove it veteran, older veteran deal. Um, you know, for, you know, a relatively speaking, uh, you know, low amount for, uh, you know, an NFL player with a, a pro bowl background. So I just think that, you know, now you're looking at a situation where you don't really have. You know, a clear-cut, you know, starting two there on the interior. You know, Malik McDowell would have been one guy. They would have brought him back as an exclusive rights free agent, but he got arrested in January, and, you know, he may never play in the NFL again. Obviously, the Browns did not retain him as a result of that incident. And and Malik Jackson's a free agent who they haven't, you know, showed interest in, in bringing back as far as I know. Uh, there's been no sign of it. Uh, if they did, it would be a surprise on the level of, like, Ronnie Harrison coming back. Um, so you're looking at, you know, the two guys that they've drafted in the past in Jordan Elliott and, and Tommy Togiai and Taven Bryan, uh, uh, you know, kind of a, a cheaper signing in free agency, a former first round pick of, of Jacksonville who had a role player, uh, job there. So, yeah, I, I think that defensive tackle is definitely a need You you, you need somebody there but I don't know if it's at 44 it could be but you know if it is it's going to have to be somebody who brings some pass rush element like I don't think that the Browns are going to invest their first pick in the draft which comes in the second round in like a big you know guy who's gonna you know you know eat up you know two blockers and 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 just be a traditional run stopper guy like I don't like the only guy that we've seen them really bring in under this regime like that is Andrew Billings and he didn't last. Like they got rid of him. Um, he sat out a year with COVID and then um, they w- they released him. And so that didn't pan out. And like I I just I don't think they're going to see a great need for that type of player. That they're gonna want interior uh, you know players that who who bring some pass rush element. So that's why Logan Hall is interesting one of the reasons I talked to his defensive line coach, Brian early uh, from the university of Houston, because uh, Logan Hall has that pass rush ability. And he also has some position versatility. You know, he looks at guys like Eric Armstead and DeForest Buckner, you know, um, even the pro football focused draft guide uh, lists like players in the NFL who, who kind of remind the analysts there of the prospect and, um, that particular draft guide said of all people, Logan Hall has shades of Malik McDowell. You know, just that towering, six foot six uh, defensive uh, tackle. You know, three technique. Um, and I think that that's interesting because he can, you know, play there uh, on the inside. Uh, but he also has some ability at end. Uh, he can move around. Uh, he could play, you could put him at end, uh, for first couple downs and then move him inside, uh, you know, in the sub package as an interior rusher. So he is an interesting guy for that reason. Another guy I'm looking at is, uh, Perrion Winfrey from Oklahoma, uh, a guy who brings some, some pass rushes as, as a three technique, um, who played some nose too in college, but, uh, you know, listening to him at the combine and, and studying him, talking to his, uh, college coach too. Um, you know that's another one I'm gonna write. Yeah, uh, you know I think three techniques where he really wants to make a difference in the NFL is probably gonna be used the most. Um, you know there are other guys, but those are guys off the top of my head who would be, um, you know kind of possibilities there in terms of fitted defensive tackle uh, with some flexibility.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. That the type of defensive lineman they could go for. I do like Hall quite a bit. I think he's a heck of a player, and like you. You mentioned, I, I think he's pretty versatile. Um, I, I don't know about the, the the comp that PFF made personally, but you know, we'll we'll see. He's a guy that certainly has the build to to get even bigger. And you wrote about kind of how he transformed himself. It's a good story. I was looking up actually uh, free agent defensive linemen, particularly interior guys. And a lot of them are those those big, big gap filler type of players. I mean, Akeem Hicks is out there, who's a little older. I, I think, you know, I, I still think he's good, but maybe not that pass rusher that you want. Same like Eddie Goldman, who was with the Bears. Um, those kind of players are out there. I, it would be. I think it would be who the Browns to to look at pro a veteran defensive tackle just because if there's one available that they'd like, just because we've, we've kind of seen Jordan Elliott has been a little bit of a disappointment. Tommy togi I know he was only a fourth round pick, so you can't expect too, too much, but not doesn't really get on the field that much. I, I think it's very bare there is all. So, you know, it, I, I think it would be fun if, if Larry Ogunjobi's health stuff, he failed a physical when he was going to get a big, huge contract finally. Uh, he failed a physical, so he's still out there. I think he would be a lot of fun. I think he, he'd he be a perfect fit, but, you know, who knows? So that's a, that's a strange spot for the Browns. I like tight end. I, I think 44 is a really nice spot for a tight end, actually. I know people talk about wide receiver there. Just off the premise that, you know, it's a good group of wide receivers and one should fall theoretically. I think there's going to be some tight ends right there, too, though, that that can be really good in the NFL. Um, so I, I wouldn't discount that either. And part of me, Nate, kind of wonders, I, I know we, we just talked about positional value with defensive tackle. You know, part of me wonders that the Browns are looking at linebackers – as a possibility this offseason, too, just because, you know, they, they brought back Anthony Walker on uh, a one-year deal. J.O.K.'s, you know, a, a star. Jacob Phillips has kind of been hurt his whole career, basically. Taki Taki's more of a special teams guy in a, in a, a solid depth piece, and Tony Fields is... um he is what it is. I mean, he's a back-of-the-roster kind of player. So, part of me also wonders if they're looking at linebacker, Nate.
0: Yeah, I think linebacker is another spot. Like, I think of Malcolm Smith and the role he filled for the Browns. Um, you know, they still have Sione, Takitaki, Mac Wilson, they traded for Chase Winovich, uh, who's in the defensive end room for them. Uh, but Malcolm Smith hasn't been re-signed. And, you know, he played significant snaps for them. So, you know, I do think they are in the market for somebody else there. Um, you know, Mac Wilson became really a special teams player for them, so you know it's not like they're looking to fill like a big void in terms of snap counts there. But Malcolm Smith is the one that comes to mind. Uh, so yeah, I do think that that's another one to watch. It's like, you know, I think of like the the D line, the receivers, the kickers is like those are like really kind of front and center. But when you dig a little bit deeper into it. I do think they're going to be looking at tight end and linebacker in the draft as well.
1: Okay, so that kind of maps out, you know, a lot of what we think their priorities will be for the Browns. Let's talk about wide receiver, though, because like you said, Jarvis Landry's gone. We don't know if he'll be back. Um, they brought in Amari Cooper, who's you know, ideally and clearly the, their number one guy, Donovan Peoples-Jones, is still around. They have some other solid pieces and parts, but it is a good wide receiver draft, Nate. And um, are there any wide receivers who are really piquing your interest? Because I have a couple that are out there that I think are pretty good.
0: Uh go ahead. With I, I'm, I do have a couple that are piquing my interest. But who who do you like out of the group? Because I do think it it is a very quality group with with guys who can mm-hmm. help the Browns in second, third round.
1: Well, I think the first name I would think about if, if Andrew Berry wanted to get aggressive is, is Jamison Williams of Alabama. I know that's an extremely outside shot, but he is coming back from a torn ACL. So there, there is a, a possibility that he does fall. You know, we, we see it plenty in the draft. Teams might have doubt about a guy's medical future, and, and another team will, will get a steal. Uh, we see it every single year, pretty much. So, if if Andrew Berry wants to be aggressive, that sure would be fun. Uh, he is a heck of a wide receiver. I like George Pickens of Georgia. He's probably more in that forty-four range. I think he, you know, he's a classic kind of number one style wide receiver to me. Similar to like the guys on the Chargers, like Mike Williams, where big body can be physical. We'll go up and get it I like him um, I'm not as familiar with some of some of these guys but like Christian Watson or North Dakota states another big body guy maybe a little early at 44 maybe you can get him in the third round you know that that's a guy to think about or Alec Pierce from from Cincinnati a lot of people like him solid player I, I think that's what the browns are probably going to end up more with to be honest I, I think it's gonna be hard to find a a superstar unless they go trade up. But if they can get a solid, dependable pass catcher, you know, at some point, I I think they, they need to do that, if, especially if Jarvis Landry doesn't come back. So those are the ones that I kind of am thinking about. Nate, any other ones that you have?
0: Well, my guy in terms of the, who fits the category of, Could he possibly fall to a point where they could go up and get him? Like Mm -hmm. you mentioned, Jameson Williams. I'm thinking of Traylon Burks. Um, I, I just like everything that he brings now, you know, not as fast, uh, as some of the guys. And, you know, that's why I do wonder, is there any possibility that, you know, in this really good class, um, that he falls a little bit? Uh, you know, just not having that top-end speed that some of these other guys have. Uh, So I do wonder about that a little bit. And, you know, he's a guy I saw up close in person at the Combine, liked everything about him Uh, from, you know, an interview standpoint, personality standpoint, you know, just a first impression, but but was impressed. Uh, And then, you know, when I watch – the highlight tapes and everything, I, I think that, uh, man, he's just a, a, a really, uh, physical, uh, receiver. Um, I know Debo, Debo Samuel comparisons have been thrown around. Um, I heard on, a, an athletic podcast, uh, one of the draft shows recently, uh, one that, that really piqued my interest in just a, in terms of the on field skill set comparison with the size, speed, uh, specifically this, the speed for that size at 6'2", 225 was his combine measurements. Uh, and that was Josh Gordon. And, you know, obviously I covered Josh Gordon here. And for all the trouble that Josh Gordon had off the field, uh, man, on the field, unbelievable. So, you know, just an incredible Hall of Fame caliber talent. Um, and so I do, I do wonder about, um, Traylon Burks as a possible guy who, who might fall to a point where he could become some kind of, you know, long shot possibility in an aggressive, uh, you know, Andrew Berry scenario. Um, The guys who are the guys who might be there or more likely to be there at at number 44 uh, in that range, you know, George Pickens, you mentioned Dan, that's another one I like. Um, I'm with you on that. A smaller guy I like, a different style receiver, you know, because that's this receiver class. There are a lot of different flavors, but, Sky Moore, who's probably a primarily a slot guy, but who can do stuff on the outside, reminds me of Jarvis Landry's type of role. Not comparing him to a five-time Pro Bowler, right? Incoming rookie, we have no idea. Um, but just a guy who projects to fill the the type of roles that the Jarvis Landry filled for the Browns. Like I like Sky Moore uh, from that standpoint, and just I did talk to his head coach uh, at Western Michigan yesterday. Ah, uh, Tim Lester, and the the really really fast couple fascinating things about Sky Moore to me uh, in terms of background. He's only played receiver for three seasons. He played quarterback and cornerback in high school. Um, and when they brought him in, uh, the plan was for him to play cornerback. Uh, but they really brought him in as an athlete. They were they're preparing to get him ready uh, for for defense, and they had a guy transfer a receiver transfer to Michigan State and. And so they were thin all of a sudden uh, there, and um, they made the decision to try him out at a receiver, thinking this is a really smart guy, a former quarterback who picks up a playbook well, and if anybody can adapt, he can, and he sure did, um, and, you know, became an all-mat guy as a freshman uh, and and then had just a, an incredibly productive season uh, in 2021 as a junior. So I think there is a lot to like about him uh when when you watch him on tape the the four four one speed i mean it, it shows up on the field uh five nine and about five nine and a half 195 pounds but he's a he's not i mean he's a short guy but he's not a small guy i mean he's a thick guy huge hands the the biggest hands of the receivers at the combine um you know which matter when it comes to some of these catches he's able to pull off so I, i'm just kind of fascinated by him like i was a like you know, Dan, last year I was like I was way into Rondale Moore coming out of Purdue and uh even shorter, quite a bit shorter than Sky Moore. And Rondale Moore's like five seven. But a guy who who is very short but not small. And so those kind of receivers do interest me a little bit and fascinate me, especially because, you know, I, I look at the receiving core and think you want some different body types. And you've got Amari Cooper. You've got your your traditional, your big physical uh ex receiver. Um you made that investment as the Browns this off season. Uh you got Donovan Peoples Jones, uh, you know, another big uh you guy. I, I still like Donovan Peoples Jones. He, you know, I know that you know he's not a finished product. Um but you know I I do like the potential that he brings and I think he can still continue to ascend for the Browns. And you get Anthony Shorts, um, you know, a smaller guy, a speedster uh, who dealt with a weird, it was a weird year for him. The hamstring injuries throughout the training camp, um, really missed most of his training camp, which can put a, a rookie, um, you know, behind the eight ball. And I think it did with him. And then he had concussion later in the season, missed a handful of games. And, um, you know, it, I think the Browns are, are higher on him and, and have, uh, I guess more optimism around him than, than I think the average fan does. So, I think we have to consider that, that they see a role for him still. Um, but yeah, I think, I think when that's kind of what you're, you're looking at, you know, uh, barring a Jarvis Landry return or, or another veteran, um, you know, on the, on the free agent market, I, I think you are looking at this group of receivers and, and Sky Moore definitely interests me. You know, David Bell, it's interesting because
1: another, mm-hmm.
0: uh, another guy, um, who, you know, I was kind of talking about Traylon Burks and, you know, not a blazing fast 40 time or whatever. Uh, David Bell, I mean, he ran a 4.65 in in this group that's like, you know, slow motion, you know, no offense to him, but it's just like he, it's just not a good 40 time. Um, But I, again, I think of Jarvis Landry in the fact that when he was coming out of LSU, I think he was in the four sevens at the combine, fell to the second round, and look at the career he's had. And David Bell is an ultra productive player, uh, all American. Uh, and I talked to his head coach, like I mentioned earlier. Uh, so got some good background on him and, and just the kind of person and, uh, worker that he is behind the scenes. And I do wonder, is he a guy who maybe even could go to in the third round, uh, and be a possibility for the Browns and Phil Jarvis Landry type roles. So, uh, those are kind of the guys, uh, who
1: I've been looking at who have interested me. Yeah, I I love Bell. Uh, I, I was actually pulling up his stats and stuff before you even mentioned his name, funnily enough, because I you know this time of year we all just are guilty of falling in love with what happened at the combine and how fast guys are and how high they jump and all that stuff. And David Bell, sometimes to me, sometimes you just draft guys who are productive. And, like, David Bell, like you said, he's not the fastest guy. Clearly, he knows how to get open. I mean, in, in three years at Purdue, and really two and a half seasons, because he only played six games in 2020, obviously, but, uh, what is that, 23, 29 games, he had 232 receptions for just under 3,000 yards and 21 touchdowns. At Purdue, you know, it's not like Purdue is pumping out NFL quarterbacks and I I don't know. I I like him a lot. And like you mentioned, he has good size, like he's a bigger guy. He's not super tall, but he's just a big guy. I like him. Um so I'm I'm glad you, you talked to his coach. I'm glad we're talking about him now. I would like to see him in brown and orange. So pass that along to Andrew Barry if you could.
0: Yeah, and I, I'm just so kind of focused on, you're not going to find, like, I, I don't want to, anyone to take this the wrong way. Like, you're not going to find a guaranteed, like, five-time Pro Bowl. Yep. Jarvis Lange is a really good player. Like, right. He's a really good, I have a tremendous amount of respect for his game. And, I like, I don't want to say you're going to replace him in this draft. I'm just, but I'm looking for guys who, if he doesn't resign, you know, I'm looking for guys who I think could fill that role uh or those roles. Like, you know, he can do so he can you know, he came here from Miami, what in the label is slot receiver, slot receiver, and he said I'm more than that. And I think he showed that in his Browns tenure. He is more than a slot receiver. He I mean, primarily, you know, I think his best work can come out of the slot, but he can do great things playing the other spots too and on the do damage from the outside too and And not a big guy either, but and not a fast guy either, but so savvy, right? Cerebral, studies the position. Has uh, Kevin Stefanski said one of the highest football IQs he's ever been around. Like, but anyway, I'm looking at guys, like the the guys that all three guys that I've kind of you know zeroed in on in this conversation. Aside from saying I I I am impressed by George Pickens, like you mentioned. And I, I do like that we had different guys kind of who interest, who has piqued our interest because there are different flavors. But in that Landry type mold, I do think Burks more and uh, Bell can do some of those jobs. You know, I mean, though, to me, those guys fit into that category. And and I guess I'm just on thinking of how significant Jarvis Landry was for the Browns since he came here in 2018. And like I'm trying to fit, I'm trying to find, um, you know how they're going to fill that void, uh, even within a, even with a changing offense. He just did so much for this team that I have that in my mind as I'm looking at all these guys.
1: Mhm. Yeah. We'll, we'll see how it plays out. So uh, that might do it for now, Nate, Unless you have anything else.
0: I don't think so. I, I think you know. Just, the, just that point that, that I was just try, trying to make. I just think that you know that that would that role and those those Jarvis the, the things Jarvis does those complement Amari Cooper like and that and that's another reason why I'm you know on this track on this you know kind of uh, I've gone down this path. Um, so yeah, I mean it's gonna be really interesting. I don't know if you like real quick, real quick. I do have something. To, DNs, okay, like just, you know, edge rushers. Um, Mm -hmm. This is a question I have for you. Who do you think is realistic at 44, who you like, and do you start considering David Ajabo as a possibility because he suffered a torn Achilles. He was going to be probably a top 20 pick. He suffered a torn Achilles at Michigan's Pro Day and now might be... You know, there at forty-four, given the injury. Now, I know we've talked before, Dan, and I think that you you probably think he's best as an outside linebacker in a three-four mm-hmm. and not a defensive end in a four-three, like opposite Miles Garrett.
1: Mm-hmm. But does the
0: injury change any of your thinking in terms of maybe him being a tremendous value there?
1: Well, yeah, I think he would be a value, and uh, I, I just I I do just wonder about the fit because um, to me, the Browns seem pretty pretty set at how they run their defensive line. I I don't think Ojabo is just a guy that you can bring in and say, okay, put your hand in the dirt and get after it, and oh yeah, you're going to have to really play the run too. I, I just don't think that fits his game, unfortunately. You know, if they ran a little more of a, a hybrid style or... You know, let, let a pass rusher move around more. Yeah, I, I think you could think about that then, but just, just the way they run their defense, I just don't see a great fit there. So, you know, to, to find a guy though, as a pass rusher, that's such a tough position uh, to get at 44 and obviously beyond like that. To me, pass rusher after quarterback is, is the position that that teams want to fill, you know, Left tackle too probably, but that that just makes it so hard to find a guy, and there, of course, there there are going to be some players out there, um, but it's just it's just figuring out if they fit, you know, like Drake Jackson of USC for instance, he's a good fit, um, just schematically, style wise, what he does, I, I think he fits. I think Logan Hall. I, I don't want to just go back to him because it's easy, but I think that would be a great, fun fit. You know, we we saw what the Browns do, bringing a edge guy inside more at times. That you know that that could be, that could be fun. Um. I I don't know. It's it's a it's a very tough position to find in the second round. You know, like Boye Maffe from Minnesota tore up the senior ball. Maybe he's in that range. I, you know, he's like 6'4", 260 pounds, so he kind of fits that that kind of mold. So I, I guess those would be the ones I'm thinking about.
0: Yeah, and there's a guy from Oklahoma who's been mocked to the Browns a lot. Um, do you know how to pronounce his name? Is it Nik? Uh, it's N-I-K. Uh, i I don't know off the top <laughs> yeah. of my head. Uh, I would but probably butcher it. Bonito? Um Yeah. So, anyway, when I talked to uh, the guy who is um, – Calvin Thibodeau is uh, Oklahoma's defensive line coach. I talked to him, uh, and he said he does not think that he is a 3-4 end that he – or, I'm sorry, a 4-3 end. He thinks he is a an outside linebacker and a 3-4. Like, he doesn't see yeah. a 4-3 fit for him. He's mocked to the
1: Browns all the time, though. Um, so – do you think that kind of player fits? I mean, you asked me, but I mean, that like, the Ojabo, this Benito guy, do you think that kind of player fits?
0: Well, if he's a 3-4, I mean, like, you know, if he's a 3-4 outside linebacker, no, but, like, some guys really can do both. Like, some guys have position flexibility that way. And, like, mm-hmm. you know, um, so, you know, it – Ajabo is i he's interesting to me cuz he's 6'4" uh 250 and pretty new to football and you know could you have him could you have him get in your NFL um strength and conditioning program and have him play at 265 um and he could become a hand in the dirt defensive end I mean, I I don't. I mean, I I guess you can't see that, and I I'm, I'm not saying that you know that is a is a great projection or anything, but I'm just I'm trying to use my imagination with him a little bit more, uh, and I don't know if that's a <laughs> a stretch or whatever, um, <laughs> but man, just as how athletic he, I mean, he he is. Very he athletic, is freaky, and 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 that that does make me wonder if he can just do that. Like if he could, if he could fit. Um,
1: well, the, the so, flip side is, will will the will the injury affect his athleticism? You know that that's that's the that's the other side of the the scale there. Right.
0: Yeah, hmm. I mean, yeah, I mean. But then again, you're never getting him at forty-four. If he isn't injured, so you know I right mean, exactly, so you you could go round and round with that. the bottom line is you know, does he fit, and if he and if he didn't do the exact same things in college, I don't think that's a deal breaker it's it's do you project him to fit in your system um, do you think he can do other things, and do you think he can do what you need him to do and so you know i obviously we don't have all the answers to that, you know Joe woods, chris Kiffin, Andrew Barry. Um, they would have to figure that out with this position. Um, Mm -hmm. But, yeah, I I do think that, uh, you know, Logan Hall probably is the easiest one for us to to envision, and so that's why he's one of the first guys I wrote about.
1: Yeah, uh, that was a good choice. So that is going to do it for our podcast this time. Uh, It's a lot to take in, so everybody, thank you very much for listening. If you have not yet, please subscribe to us on iTunes, on the Spotify, wherever else you listen to our podcast. Don't forget, we are brought to you by USA Today Sports Plus. Our friends over there at USA Today Sports Plus are providing a new look, kind of how sports are covered, the fresh approach. It's really fun, a little edgy, which is nice sometimes. So check them out over at USA Today Sports Plus. Make sure you're following Nate on Twitter. He's at by Nate Ulrich because news could come up at any time on any number of things. So follow Nate. Find all of his work over at BeaconJournal.com slash sports slash Browns. It's going to do it for a podcast this time. Thanks very much for listening, and we will talk to you next time.